This audio is dedicated to Joe Weisenthal, with love. The IQ framework seems to hold up decently with regard to the Moon Boys, but it doesn't account for the Dans and all the other brilliant yuppies that I know. When I thought about what is the defining difference between the Bitcoin maximalists and my yuppie elite friends, the surface-level distinctions that popped out were political. Libertarianism, Trump support, Second Amendment rights, Black Lives Matter. But these stem from a deeper divide. The degree to which a person has trust in the system. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible, the place where you get your free PhD in all things Bitcoin. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. We've got a great piece, a uh, great read today, uh, brought back to my attention actually by Preston Pish. Uh, a shout out to him for reminding me of this one. It had gotten way down in my candidates board that I've got, and I had completely forgotten about it. Um, it is another amazing piece actually by Croesus, who we have read his asset DNA piece on the show, and on the amazing Citadel 21 publication. And this one is about the yuppie elite class and why they are so poorly positioned to understand what the hell Bitcoin is, despite their obvious intelligence. So what could explain such a divide? We will dive into it in just a moment. First, some love to Bitbox02, the hardware wallet for the lovers of keys out there. Not your keys, not your coins is rule number one in Bitcoin, and the Bitbox02 is the device for practicing that rule properly. GuySwan.com Bitbox to check them out plus a number of other great security and backup products at their store. Then we have the automatic sat stacker of the most stacks, Swan Bitcoin, and the dollar cost average savings plan. Use my referral, swanbitcoin.com guy, and it gets you some free sats when you start your automatic plan. And thank both of our awesome sponsors for making Bitcoin Audible possible. So with that, let's dive into today's read, and it's titled, Why the Yuppie Elite Dismiss Bitcoin by Croesus. Exasperated with our conversation, I asked bluntly, what do you think the probability is that Bitcoin hits a million dollars per coin? Without hesitation, my friend replied, 0.001%. I laughed and I said, I put it at 80%. I asked if, after thousands of hours of research on my part, maybe there was some information asymmetry. He quipped, or maybe self-motivated beliefs. That's Dan. He's one of my good friends from business school. He got a 780 on his GMAT and is almost always the smartest man in the room. We both worked at one of the elite management consulting firms before attending one of the elite MBA programs followed by returning to elite job opportunities in the most desirable cities in America. My B-School friend group is full of Dans. 
The kids who ran the gauntlet of achievement-obsessed America and cleared the highest bar every time it rose higher. The consummate yuppie elite. Yet, they are all resistant to Bitcoin. It has become a topic of frustrated fascination for me. My other friend groups have largely heeded my vociferous and fervent testimony that Bitcoin is the most important asset of the 21st century. Yet my elite MBA friends cling to dismissiveness that borders on outright hostility. Why? This is a complex topic with a few layers I will try to address here. As a starting point, let's introduce the closest attempt at an explanation that I've seen to date. Okay, pause here. About the least interesting thing to do in audio is to try to describe a meme, but this actually has important context. Hopefully, if you've seen it, this is Murad Mamadov's IQ bell curve meme regarding who it is that thinks $250,000 per Bitcoin is realistic. Down at the bottom, there's the, there's the incredibly low IQ people who are who have concave heads and no brain, but think, oh yeah, we're definitely going to 250K. Then there's the middle, the bulk of the population, from the 85 IQ to the 115 IQ range, and they think $250,000 is just absolutely ridiculous. Then the upper end of the bell curve, 115, 130 and higher, the, the big brain who see 250K as obvious, illustrating that the dumbest and the smartest are the ones who think 250K is within reach. Okay, end meme. Clever and compelling, this model explains what many in Bitcoin perceive. Some of the smartest people in the world think Bitcoin is going to boom, but so do some dumbasses. Importantly, this model also explains the mockery and resistance we see from our reasonably intelligent friends and family. But it's too easy of an explanation. I cannot claim to be smarter than Dan or the hundreds of other brilliant MBAs in my graduating class, not one of whom has reached Bitcoin maximalism as far as I know. Clearly, there is something else going on here. After mulling this over for a number of months, I think I've come up with a framework that, while not perfect, provides more explanatory power. First, let's separate the 250k believers in Murad's meme into what they really are. Bitcoin moonboys on the left, and deeply researched Bitcoin maximalists on the right. In truth, they are two different groups. The first group believes that Bitcoin is going to the moon largely because they believe that past performance is indicative of future results. We will say that this group subscribes to Bitcoin moonism. The second group has come to understand the game-theoretic inevitability of Bitcoin's continued rise in the context of central bank money printing, the deterministic price mechanics of quadrennial supply shocks via Bitcoin's halvings and the market psychology that programmatic price appreciation precipitates, and the winner-takes-all implications of an absolutely scarce store-of-value asset, what we call Bitcoin maximalism. The IQ framework seems to hold up decently with regard to the moon boys, but it doesn't account for the Dans and all of the other brilliant yuppies that I know. When I thought about what is the defining difference between the Bitcoin maximalists and my yuppie elite friends, the surface-level distinctions that popped out were political. Example, libertarianism, Trump support, Second Amendment rights, Black Lives Matter. But these stem from a deeper divide. 
the degree to which a person has trust in the system. As a lifelong liberal, recently cast into the netherworld of distrust of both parties that one necessarily acquires when journeying down the Bitcoin rabbit hole far enough, I feel reasonably qualified to speak to the liberal condition. At the heart of liberalism is a belief that the system can work if it could just be architected well enough and administered competently and compassionately. My personal journey to Bitcoin maximalism involved a painful dissociation from this fundamental worldview, specifically in the course of digging in to understand central banking monetary policy and the irresistible levers that come with it. As an aside, I went to the best business school in the world, and they didn't teach us anything about that. For what it's worth, I don't think this was a knowing or malicious omission. I think this battle was won 100 years ago, in Keynes's day, with the self-serving support of governments weighing heavily on the outcome. Which is to say, my professors learned from Keynesians, who themselves learned from Keynesians. The business leaders and educators of today are completely unaware that they are passing on the shoddy propaganda version of monetary theory as a result of the largely successful ideological extermination of sound monetary theory. But I digress. If we take Murad's IQ framework, split the 250k believers into their respective groups, and add the dimension of trust in the system's ability to work, we get something like this. This graphic will be referred to a couple of times, so I'll just explain it this once. It's a simple four-quadrant diagram with high IQ at the top, low IQ at the bottom, and high trust in the system on the right, and low trust in the system on the left. And then basically a color gradient for the groups. So this puts propensity for Bitcoin maximalism up in the top left, which is high IQ, but very low trust in the system. Then Bitcoin moonism dominates the bottom left, very low IQ, but also low trust in the system. Now, there is some Bitcoin moonism in the bottom right, low IQ, but they still trust the system. And then there's basically a vacuum of neither in the top right, the high IQ people who have very high trust in the system. So try to picture that in your mind because it's referenced quite a bit for the rest of the article. If this is a reasonable representation of reality, there are a number of insights we might draw from it. Bitcoin maximalism is correlated with intelligence, but also with distrust in the system. Someone who is very smart and has high conviction that the system is broken is more likely to reach Bitcoin maximalism than someone lacking one of these qualities, all else equal. Bitcoin moonism is less sensitive to one's distrust in the system. If you're a dumbass, you're a dumbass. But it probably helps a little to be a dumbass and distrust the system. It is easier to reach Bitcoin maximalism if you are already primed for it via a pre-existing distrust of the system. This helps explain the early adoption of cypherpunks, anarchists, and libertarians, and even the current representational skew towards Trump supporters who share a distrust of the establishment. On the flip side, it is more or less impossible to reach Bitcoin maximalism while retaining any amount of trust in the system. Indeed, this was my experience. To get to maximalism, I had to first grapple with the uncomfortable dissonance of my beliefs and the things I came face to face with as I dug deeper into the rabbit hole, confront them rather than turn back, 
and ultimately tear down my entire worldview in order to resolve the dissonance and continue deeper down the rabbit hole. Fun times. Of greatest relevance to our particular focus, however, is the white space in the top right quadrant. Those with high intelligence and trust in the system's ability to work are very unlikely to subscribe to either Bitcoin maximalism or Bitcoin moonism. Let's expand on this further. The upper right quadrant of the chart also happens to be the native home of the yuppie elite. To succeed in the educated professional class, you have to be smart. But it's also crucial that you know how to fit in, be a good team player, navigate industry politics, be polite and likable, and above all, be a good foot soldier willing to sacrifice for your employer. The requisite core belief to be able to be all of these things is trust in the system. Trust that if you are a good employee and play nice with others, that you will be rewarded via promotions and social standing. In this sense, if we were to plot where the yuppie elite live on our graph, it would look something like this. He basically just draws a rough quarter circle in the empty white space of the top right of this diagram. In just the same way that Bitcoin maximalists are some combination of smart and distrusting of the system, the yuppie elite are typically smart and trusting of the system. Some are more brilliant than others, but the ones that are less smart and still successful are typically so because they are exceptionally committed and loyal employees. As you can see, the empty corner of our 2x2 two two matrix is exactly where the MBAs and other yuppie elites are. From their vantage point, belief in Bitcoin is a peculiar phenomenon that will surely go away. None of their yuppie elite friends believe in it, and since they don't know much about Bitcoin, they don't draw any distinction between Bitcoin moonism and Bitcoin maximalism. It's all lumped together for them. As a result, the yuppie elite tend to view belief in Bitcoin like this. Same diagram with the top right just labeled the people in the know, with the color gradient all just leading to the bottom left, the dumb, distrusting, and this is the whole pool of people who, quote, fall for Bitcoin. Unfortunately for them, this perspective makes them unlikely to seriously consider Bitcoin on its own merits. Part of what makes this disinterest so resilient is that it falls into a neat heuristic pattern like many other things in the yuppie world. The yuppie elite are accustomed to having the best information, the best education, and the quickest knowledge of and access to trends. Yuppies believe they are the people in the know. When you're in the ivory tower, you think the term ivory tower is a silly misrepresentation of your very normal life. When you're no longer in the ivory tower, you realize how willfully out of touch you were with the world. Part of being in the ivory tower means being in a socially insular bubble, interacting only with other elite yuppies. The natural outcome of this is that you tend to believe things are important and worthwhile if the other yuppies in your social network believe they are. After all, yuppies are the people in the know. Conversely, if people outside of the yuppie social world are engaged in something but other yuppies aren't interested in it, it must be something for people not in the know. In this case, the lack of belief in Bitcoin among the yuppie elite combined with the significant interest in Bitcoin among non-yuppies 
triggers a clear pattern recognition response. Bitcoin is for people not in the know. A second characteristic of yuppies also helps ensure that this heuristic label is not easily revised. As smart people who are good at navigating the world, yuppies need to understand something in order to believe in it. That's how they've done well in life so far, so that's what they're sticking to. Ironically, it's the adherence to the central ethos of Bitcoin that keeps yuppies from investing in Bitcoin. Don't trust, verify. I have a childhood friend who is a sailboat captain for a living. In his mind, I am one of the smartest people he knows. When I strongly recommended that he look into Bitcoin, he bought some that same night. He didn't verify my thesis for himself, he trusted me. The same is not true for my yuppie friends. They know it is unwise to invest money in something that they do not understand. At the same time, they lack the time, conviction, and persistence to replicate my years of research. What's more, Bitcoin's surface layer provides it with a subtle camouflage. The first hour or two of learning about Bitcoin triggers a multitude of scam red flags. For the business and financial elite who have honed their heuristic abilities for filtering out the deluge of noise they sift through on a daily basis in order to be effective in their professions, these red flags are a non-starter. For their entire adult lives, they have been reinforced to think within the box, often calling it out-of-the-box thinking. The odds that a new piece of information comes along, for which an hour or two of investigation creates more confusion than answers, and yields several red flags, but actually turns out to be an outstanding investment, are vanishingly small. That's what heuristics do. Filter out the garbage based on a cursory investigation of substance. A typical member of the yuppie elite flags Bitcoin as garbage to be ignored upon their first investigation of its merits, and because of the groupthink of yuppies only paying attention to what other yuppies are interested in, that is where Bitcoin remains. Of course, this will all change as Bitcoin's mechanics continue to play out, making number go up. In time, everyone will have to face the painful realization that their reasons for writing off Bitcoin are wrong. Because of the dynamics at work with the yuppie class, it may take longer for them to come around to Bitcoin than with most new technologies or trends. Love this piece. And it helps to explain something that I've thought for a long time. Um, I know people in my life personally who kind of fit into this thing and in, in, in this, this model, I guess you could say. And I think, I think Croesus is right here, that the determining factor is how much trust they have in the system. Is if they think it's basically operating as it should, the quick filter for Bitcoin is an obvious dismissal for a lot of different reasons. And I really, I want to get into this and get Guy's take on this piece. Uh, real quick, let's hit our sponsor and we will jump right back in. You know who wins in the Bitcoin game? The people who look at their savings in sats. The people who see their stack is higher this week than last. Not the ones who focus on the dollar price. The price is just noise. Trading is just something that takes a whole lot of work in order to give your Bitcoin to somebody else and pay ungodly amounts of taxes on it when you do. When you could have just been automatically stacking Bitcoin every week, ignoring the fiat measuring stick and watching your sats go up. 
That is why I use swanbitcoin.com slash guy for my referral link to stack sats all the time. Recording an audiobook, I stacked with Swan. Writing notes for my next episode, I stacked with Swan. Reading another 200 Bitcoin articles, well, I also stacked with Swan. Every day, every week, every month, whatever frequency or amount works for you, set it and forget it. it does all the hard work and you keep doing what you do, knowing that tomorrow you will have more sats than you had yesterday. SwanBitcoin.com guy will even get you some free sats to start off. So like I said, there have been a lot of people in my own personal life, um, I mean, people that I know to be smart, um, who have this, this same immediate turnoff with Bitcoin. And even, even people who have had that same resistance to it for eight years, you know, I mean, just um, can continue to see it succeed and believe that it's just everybody else who doesn't understand what's going on. And there's a handful of different dynamics that, that go on here. And I think, honestly, one of the big things, particularly in the yuppie elite, like I absolutely believe the, one of the most determining factors is trust in the system. But I think also being trustful of the system is deeply, to, deep, deeply tied to whether or not you have been rewarded by it. There's actually an experiment done with a rigged game of Monopoly that was done with a hundred random pairs of participants. And what they literally did is at the beginning of the game, they would flip a coin and whoever won the coin toss would be the privileged player and whoever didn't would be the, uh, the weak player. The, or I think they labeled them the rich and the poor. But it was basically someone who had rules in their favor and someone who had rules against them. Uh, the first person, uh, the wealthy player got more money to start off with. They got like an extra roll. Or they got to roll two dice instead of one. Um, they, uh, I can't remember exactly all of the different scenarios, but they heavily rigged the game in their favor and against the opponent. And then they just watched how this played out and, you know, noted a bunch of different things about the, the player who was winning and, uh, clearly winning the game would, uh, you know, become, become more loud and boisterous. They would start to flaunt their the amount of money that they had and how easy it was that they're like, oh, I'll just buy this property. Uh, ooh, you owe me $24 or whatever. Uh, uh, you're not going to have any money soon. You know, they just, they very much enjoyed their position. And even, even that they would eat the snacks that were left on the table with them. They have like pretzels. Um, that they would eat the snacks at a higher rate than the other participant. But the critical factor is that at the end of this, they would ask the participants why they thought they won the game or, or why they thought the outcome of the game was the way it was. And the, the players who won, the obviously rigged four players, would never mention the coin toss. They would go in and talk about how all of the decisions they made and how they bought this property and they did this and this and this and they would not but they would not attack the game that benefited them they wanted to believe they were conditioned to uh fall into the fact that their success was not unfair but that it was because of choices and things that they did even though obviously the game was rigged i think this is a critical part 
of what's going on. You know, if you're successful in some sort of system or institution and, you know, you're in a very tight social circle, particularly a yuppie elite class who thinks they're in the know and are usually ahead of the game on this trend or this technology or this investment. You know, these are smart people and they've gotten awards and they've always been the best in their class and et cetera, et cetera. And they obviously have very tight social circles as well to to basically come to terms with the fact that that might not be legitimate or that there may be something fundamentally wrong with that is to basically say you may not have uh, earned all of those awards, that that social value that you may define who you are um, with could actually be like really ignorant about something very fundamental. And, you know, Croesus talks about in this thing is like he had to deal with the crashing of his entire worldview here. And that does absolutely happen when you start going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and you really understand money and the critical, the critical elements of it and specifically what the fallout of a corrupt money is. And that, you know, maybe your success was actually learning how to benefit and play in a system that's really horribly unfair that is at its base at its most basic layer corrupt by default it would be to suggest that your success is explicitly at somebody else's expense that maybe i wasn't producing value in the world maybe i was actually just destroying the thing that got me the greatest reward in this rigged system i can't imagine that's something easy to deal with um, I mean, I remember when I was much younger now, I guess it's been quite a long time in my history, um, but coming to terms with how I thought like I was a very strict conservative, kind of a flag waving America is liberty sort of guy. And the idea that I lived in a free country, the idea that this was a meaningful thing and that's what the flag meant and that's what America represented and all of this stuff. Like my idea of what my country was and who I was was very deeply tied to that. And I, it was really hard to come to terms with that. It was Austrian economics that did it. it was, this was good, good long time before Bitcoin, actually, that I kind of had this uh, breakdown, so to speak. Um, but it really felt like, you know, I had this very Disney idea of history that the good guys won, right? And... That veil was really just ripped away from me. Um, and it was a very comfortable thing to believe. You know, it was very easy to think that stuff will work out in the end and the good guys won. And, uh, you know, I live in the good country. I'm, we're the good guys. And what we do, therefore, is kind of good by default. Like, it's, it's hilarious how silly I see the view now. Um, but nonetheless, like I was very deeply tied to that idea. And even though when it fell away, when I could no longer believe that, I remember feeling like there was this huge vacuum, is that I didn't belong anywhere. I didn't have a totem for what I believed. Outside of the context of America, like I didn't know how to define it. And we get so much meaning from our social circles. And if all of our social circles are 
rewarding us or patting us on the back for some specific thing that we do or some belief that we hold or some loyalty that we have to an institution or a system that has benefited us greatly, the barrier, the, the mountainous wall that we have to break through to, to get out of that, to risk being thought of as stupid or crazy by that entire social circle, that is not something to just, oh, I guess I'll just deal with it. Like That changes who you think you are. That literally shatters your world. And when you've come to rely on or thrive on how everybody thinks so positively of you or that everybody puts you up on a pedestal as being very, very smart or, um, you know, very part of the team sort of thing is that that can really collapse your own self-confidence. You find out that your self-confidence is really based on how everybody else thought about you, not how you thought of yourself that it was all an external thing and that it can all come crashing down because it was mostly based on, it was borrowed, right? It wasn't yours. You borrowed it from the, pe from the people around you. That's a horrible reality to deal with. Um, and I, I know from personal experience is having to deal with, you know, talking about Bitcoin for eight, 10 years, whatever the hell it's been now, I don't even know, um, is, is me having to deal with everybody who thought like I was the smart one in the family or the smart one in the social group or whatever it is like in in, in my social circles people thought of me as like oh yeah yeah guy's a smart smart guy he was always the science dude and he was always building gadgets and robots and he was always the one to call to fix your computer and blah 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 and to openly talk about something that you know the response is going to be Oh my God, you sad, poor, stupid little person. How have you gotten yourself trapped in this Ponzi scheme? And to watch their respect and value of you like fall while you're talking to them, to just, just watch just a huge chunk of it just vanish. That's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. You really got to deal with yourself and you got to know what you think and you have to really question whether or not you want to go there. And I think just kind of the idea of a yuppie elite, you know, a social class that thinks of themselves as better than other people is typically a borrowed arrogance, right? It's because they have been so successful and all of these successful friends think of them as the smartest people in the room. That's what it's based off of. Like when, when they would have to challenge that, they're it kind of falls apart. Like without that social circle, a lot of their self-worth would die. Obviously there are exceptions, um, but you know, it, it, it is not in our nature to challenge our social circles. It is, it is in our nature to go along with them. And when I lost my politics, my, my conservative view, my idea that America was freedom, um, I guess it's one of the most difficult things I did in my life, really. Um, and I had some some political back and forth because I didn't, you know, especially during high school, I didn't quite fit into one of the boxes, but I always had that conservative leaning of America is freedom and America is my country. And losing, like I cried, I really did. Like I, I had a really, really rough couple of weeks trying to deal with the fact that 
everything that I thought I knew about the world and what was right and wrong was really thrown into question. I remember thinking about, like, I had gone, like, during the 9-11 era, um, I had remember thinking that we should just nuke Iraq. Like, I just, like, soaked up that propaganda without even a second thought. And I was like, and I would make jokes about it, like, oh, we should have Lake Iraq. Um, and, uh, you know, I was in, like, some Republican circles there. It was just all the warmongering crap. And I remember, like, looking back on that, not that far after that era, um, and realizing what a hilarious sham that whole war was and just how many lies were perpetuated to get us into that conflict and how it had nothing to do with it. And then, and then you think about, like, the innocent civilians. You just think about, like, normal Iraqis who probably don't even, like, from, from the perspective of me losing confidence and trust in my political system how many of me are sitting over in iraq going what a bunch of cocksuckers that are just destroying my country and you know starting some conflict and blah 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 and suddenly i saw a whole country just a just a random you know arbitrary line drawn on a piece of uh, on a map i'm um, not even on the ground right it's not even it doesn't even exist it's just on the map and i saw all of these innocent people who now had the stability of their entire world and livelihoods thrown into chaos because of what some political jackass may or may not have done based on a lie from somebody halfway around the world. And that law and civility and normal, normal, like basic human rights are just now out the window. And I look back on those comments that I made or the things that I thought, and I just think, what a monster. What, a, like, what an unbelievably narrow, idiotic view of the world that I had. That's not a, that's not a healthy, you don't want to think that about yourself, right? But nonetheless, that was, that was how I saw things. I think there's a lot of that, that, that whatever fundamental issue there is there with the yuppie elite, they've been very, very rewarded by their rigged monopoly game. And they don't want to think that it isn't because of their competence that this happened. Because they are competent, right? They're, you know, we're talking about a high IQ people who get how the thing works. Or better yet, maybe they understand how to play the system without understanding the moral principle underneath it. The foundation as to why playing the game that certain way does in fact benefit them massively. That's why I think most of our problems are a giant conspiracy of ignorance. Croesus says in this piece, you know, I don't think, or they didn't think like he didn't learn about sound monetary theory for any malicious or knowing reason. It wasn't somebody who'd be like, we mustn't tell them about sound monetary theory. Um, he just thought like he was taught by Keynesians who were taught by Keynesians who were taught by Keynesians who were taught by Keynes. You know, you know, like like the the ideological war that led to it being a unimportant era area of like business school and economics was one hundred years ago. So honestly, who would know about it? And then when you build up that arrogance, that confidence that I have learned economics. You know, there's so many people who list themselves as economists and have degrees in economics. Well, I could absolutely guess 
I'd bet money on the fact that they would be the last people to understand Bitcoin explicitly because of their economic education. But then, you know, that that feeling that you're in the know and that you're superior and that all of my friends are the successful, therefore, uh, they are the ones whose praise I want to receive. If that social circle has dismissed something, why would you look into it? Why would they feel the need? And more importantly is, um, and this is kind of what I think like, uh, you know, forgive me, but Bob Murphy and Tom Woods had like two or three conversations about Bitcoin and read a couple of articles about Bitcoin uh, per, per their own admission um, and then kind of felt like they got it. And I think that's because they're so good at economics. They're so well-versed in what they know, like real economics too, not, not the crappy economics that I'm referring to here uh, or previously. But they feel like there's nothing else to know. That their, their level of understanding their own knowledge and assuming that they already get the important principles at play results in them not digging in further and actually learning. So they have kind of a different filter, but kind of the same problem with their filter that Creases talks about with the yuppies. Um, he says, you know, what's more, Bitcoin's surface layer provides it with a subtle camouflage. And this is something that's so, so painful and difficult to break through for someone who is intelligent and will actually go out and, you know, try to make their own assessment as, of something. Is that, quote, the first hour or two of learning about Bitcoin triggers a multitude of scam red flags, end quote. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you don't dig into Bitcoin, it looks like a scam. And very, very simple thing. If it walks like a duck, if it uh, quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. That is what they're going to assume. And so the dismissal is even that much easier. Not only socially reinforcing, but it doesn't even pass through their basic filter that works 95% of the time. Hell, it's probably like 99% of the time, or at least that if they do dismiss something that was right or was successful, it's not a revolutionary thing. It's not a world-changing thing. What are the chances of that, that something like that comes along? It doesn't even come along every so often. So if it works 99% of the time and the 1% of the time it doesn't work, they just miss like a minor interesting investment, but they're still wildly successful in all of their other endeavors. Why do they need to change their filter? Why do they need to dig deeper? That hour or two is good. Red flags, I'm out. And I love Creases's like framing is that the fact that they are actually doing the very ethos of Bitcoin, like the core principle of Bitcoin is don't trust verify. It is their adherence to that principle that has them dismissing Bitcoin because Bitcoin is an incredibly difficult thing to understand. And rightfully so, they shouldn't invest in it if they don't understand it. And to really grasp one of the core fundamental values of Bitcoin is to understand sound money. And it is to recognize that the monetary system we have is absolute crap. Is that the system we have is inherently corrupt, whether maliciously or not, that it is a terrible, failing system. And that's why I also think Bitcoin is heavily on the rise, is because the trust in the establishment is crumbling. Because the trust that the system can work is falling under its own weight, under its own imbalances. And normal people in normal conversation are 
openly talking about the absurdity of printing trillions of dollars. People I never thought to have that conversation with, ever. The cracks are starting to show. The questions are starting to be asked. They, don't, they may not understand it. They certainly don't understand it, actually. The vast majority of them that I speak with don't get it. They don't have a strong grasp of why. They don't have the economic principles behind really wrapping their heads around it. They certainly don't understand Bitcoin or the core economic philosophy behind it. But they do understand that something's not working. They do understand that there's definitely some sort of contradiction here. There's something not right. And it may very well so happen to be that the yuppie elites are the last ones to get there because the normie is now being punished by the system. They're now seeing the costs of this system. But that yuppie class still probably has the furthest to go until the facade really starts to fall away for them. And they probably have some of those tightest social circles, you know, just talking about like being a great team player, being a good foot soldier is such a critical part of being successful in that level or that, you know, the ivory tower. That's going to be an additional barrier. But at the end of the day, numbers going to keep going up. If Bitcoin continues to simply survive, the game theory, the economics, the supply shocks, the, the havings, the true discovery of a new, perfectly scarce store of value asset, and then the network effect, the incredible power of Bitcoin as an open, permissionless network for money and finance is going to steamroll. It is going to be a black hole sucking so much capital out of that system. And I think it only accelerates as Bitcoin becomes more legitimate and continues to grow larger. And eventually, everyone who has dismissed it, even if it takes another 10 years, there will be a price that they cannot look away anymore. That they realize that something has absolutely been missed and they take those two hours and they turn it into 10 and something clicks somewhere. And then unfortunately, they may have to go down Creases, uh, as Creases says, the rabbit hole of Bitcoin and shake their very worldview to break through. But Bitcoin's success, if Bitcoin's success is strong enough, there will be little to allow the cognitive dissonance to remain. The dissonance will be so loud and so aggravating that they simply won't be able to ignore it. So anyway, this was a really interesting framework um, and uh, love this piece. Uh, another, another great one by Croesus. Uh, we have, I'll have uh, a link to his other piece that we read not too long ago, his Bitcoin Magazine piece on the, the speculative attack and the asset DNA. Uh, loved how that was all broken down. And a huge thank you to Citadel21 for all of the amazing works and the magazines, just, just an awesome publication and the amazing stuff that they put out. Um, always been a huge fan of Citadel 21. Also, thanks to our amazing sponsors, the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet and Shift Crypto with a lot of other great uh, security and backup tools uh, that you can get on their store. And then the Swan Bitcoin automatic 
dollar cost average Bitcoin savings plan. It is my number one way to buy Bitcoin, uh, not only on my weekly plan, but also when I get some dry powder, I go over and then I just smash buy and get some more. So swan2bitcoin.com slash guy and uh, guyswan.com slash bitbox. Actually, just go to guyswan.com with two N's. They're both up there. And today's Bitcoin resource is Citadel 21. Uh, easy one. Uh, they, I love uh, their articles. And it's one of the only places actually that you can actually find some really cool fiction pieces uh, that are kind of like some cypherpunk short stories and, you know, futuristic sort of sci-fi stuff. It's really, there's, there's actually a couple of, um, a couple of them in the Citadel 21 series, and there's so many great articles. Um, check them out at citadel21.com. And of course, you'll also find Creases' article here, uh, why the yuppie elite dismiss, dismiss Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, oh, and the memes and the graphics. So if you want to kind of get a picture, if my audio explanation was really poor, which is very possible, um, uh, you should definitely go check it out and see the actual graphics so you can kind of get, get an idea of what he was talking about. But with that, thank you so much for listening and subscribing to the show. Uh, you guys make this show go round, so to speak. <laughs> much love to the, uh, to the new audio knots who have become patrons to the show recently. It is awesome to see more people coming in and hanging out with the Telegram crew. I really I love you guys. I can't thank you enough. And if you get a moment and want to help out the show, go to my Twitter and retweet. I've been making a stink about me and uh, I'm, I'm wanting to have American Hoddle on the show and he's going to come on. It looks like, but we want to get Dave Smith on the show and or vice versa. And I've been kind of doing a monthly of bugging uh, Dave Smith to talk about Bitcoin. And I'm a huge fan of him, of uh, Bob, Murphy and Bob Murphy and Tom Woods. And I, no, no disrespect. I know I mentioned them earlier, um, but the whole like libertarian podcasting gang, I'm big fans and I listen to all their shows. And I just think they're missing such a huge opportunity to see and understand Bitcoin. So help spread the word on the socials. Um, thank you guys so much. This is Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan. And until next time, everybody, take it easy. This has been a 111 production, and you are listening to Bitcoin Audible on the Crypto Economy Network.